Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. We're just a little more than a week away from Halloween, and exactly a week away from our Halloween episode. This year we've got something extra special. A little more damp than usual, too. The winners of our Nautical Flash Fiction Contest, featuring three runners-up and our first-place winner, in addition to an extra not-so-nautical tale for a little added treat. We've had these winners in our pocket for a little bit now, and I'm excited to share them with you. So make sure you tune in for that. But with the close of the month also comes the closing of our current submissions period. That's right, we'll be putting the lid back on our bubbling cauldron for another few months, as we sort through all the delightfully twisted morsels we've collected so far. Which, I might add, is no small task. A huge thank you to our slush readers, and especially our fiction editor, Meredith, for keeping our heads mostly above water and selecting some ghoulishly glorious fiction to feed our infernal machine. For anyone who submitted a story and not heard back, Soon, I promise. Meredith and team really do their best to make sure we give every submission the full attention it deserves, and we appreciate your patience a lot. Speaking of deluges of horrific tales, Dark Matter Magazine's new imprint, Dark Matter Inc., has just released their terrifying new horror anthology, Human Monsters. Edited by Sadie Hartman and Ashley Sayers of The Nightworms, it features work by a handful of authors you've heard on this show, as well as many other talented weavers of dark fiction. Tales that prove not all monsters are fantasy. Some are very real, and they walk among us. They're our friends, family, neighbors, and co-workers. They're the people we're supposed to trust, and they know it. You can pick up your copy today via the link in the show notes. Or, better yet, 
I've got a handful of special copies signed by the editors headed my way, which I'll be giving you the chance to win. So stay tuned in the coming weeks, because that's something you're not going to want to miss. And while we're on the topic of doling out treats, you'll be happy to know that all the pieces of the Patreon packs have fallen into place and should be shipping out this weekend. Depending on where you live, some may even arrive in time for All Hallows' Eve. Cross your fingers, I'll do my best to beseech the darkness to get them there quickly. But then again, I'm also pretty sure the Postal Service is beholden to their own evil masters as well, so I can't make any promises. Last, but absolutely not least, our most bone-chilling thanks goes out to Sharon Carlton this week, our newest patron. Thank you so much for lending your shadow to our darkness, Sharon. No matter how many times I say it, I absolutely, truly cannot overstate our appreciation for your generosity. It means so much to us, and I'm so thankful to have incredible fans and supporters like you. And now, what you really came for. Our fiction. We have one tale for you this evening, which comes to us from Patrick Barb. Patrick Barb is a freelance writer from the southern United States, currently living, and trying not to freeze to death, in St. Paul, Minnesota. His work appears in Humans Are the Problem, Boneyard Soup Magazine, and Not One of Us, among other publications. He is also an active member of the Horror Writers Association. For more of his work, visit patrickbarb.com or follow him on Twitter at pbarb. Children of the Night, join me for Patrick Barb's Help Satan! A Tales to Terrify original. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Dear Satan, I've never worshipped you before, 
despite decades of rumor and eyewitness testimony accepted into the official court records to the contrary. So I hope you won't mind if I've messed up any protocol in offering this plea tonight. They don't give us candles or matches on death row. I know, right? What are they worried about? I'm going to light myself on fire? Kill myself before they have the chance? They give me crayons and some printer paper after months of denied requests, because we all know how dangerous Crayola products are, with which I've drawn these crooked paper candles. I use the otherwise useless white crayon to draw this pentagram inside of a circle. I'm now sitting crisscross applesauce outside of, talking to you. Are you there, Satan? It's me, a murderer. My lawyer, Mr. Benedict, left not too long ago. He told me the governor wasn't going to honor my request for clemency. Not much of a surprise. Governor is one of those used car salesmen turned born again, let me tell you how America should be, types always springing up in the South. From what I gather, through the drips and drabs I get of news in here, he's the type of guy who could have used pro-God, pro-cop, anti-weirdos as his campaign slogan and coasted to a landslide victory. Also known as the Harold Tillermans, a filthy, Satan-worshipping murderer who'll burn in hell checklist. After all these years, Benedict kept his distance when delivering the news. I'm sorry, Harold. We did everything we could. Not everything, I said. You could grab the guard's gun, shoot him in the face, and demand they let me out. We could go on the run, break for someplace more tolerant, like California or Canada. Harold, please. Watch your mouth, inmate. Benedict and the guard reacted to my joke like I'd stabbed the baby Jesus in front of them. Again, what's the worst they'll do? Kill me? It's lights out now, so I'm left to my own devices. It's been this way since I ended up here at 16. Tried as an adult and found guilty by a jury of, well, not my peers, but someone's peers. Tried as an adult, so I'd never get to do anything as an actual adult. Funny, huh? Guards. Other inmates, crazy religious visitors who pretend to want to save my soul but then throw holy water on me the second we're in the same room, even when they talk a big game, there's always an undercurrent of fear in everyone's interactions with me. Like skinny, bird-chested, Adam's apple jutting past his chin, Harold Tillerman might use his secret demon powers to kill them where they stand, flay skin from their bones, bathe in their blood and... Sorry, I, I think those might be Slayer lyrics. I haven't listened to any music since high school. The last thing I remember hearing in full was Shannon Dockery singing DC Talk while standing over his older cop brother's dead body, his converse drenched in blood and brains while the other members of Cops for Christ kicked the handgun away and wrenched my arms behind my back. I never wanted to murder anyone. I swear. Mm, maybe I'll rewind the tale a bit. Catch you up on how I got here. I know God and Santa Claus are always watching, but no one says much regarding your voyeuristic tendencies. I mean, the whole constant vigilance thing sounds like it'd go against the principles of sloth. But anyway. In the beginning... Kidding, sorry. I'm thinking of your story, right? The serpent, apple, the naked people. Uh, let's start again. I should have known trouble was heading my way when Officer Dockery, my classmate Shannon's big brother, pulled out the hacksaw and that squiggle-wiggling, pink, puffy, days-old puppy during a lecture he was giving us about the dangers of listening to Marilyn Manson. What you Jesus warriors gotta remember, 
he said, as the agents of Satan love nothing more than harming innocents, whether we're talking about abortionists or the fellow from the wonder years, not the one who's the brother of Ben Savage, but the other one, that Manson, transformed his own body, removing a rib in defiance of God, mocking the Almighty for taking a rib from Adam to create subservient Eve. But Mr. Manson removed his rib for another reason, that of, now, ladies, please cover your delicate ears, oral self-pleasure. Jesus wept. I don't share this lightly. I say it so y'all know the depths of evil we're facing. I sat on the back of the mess hall, in an otherwise empty row of metal folding chairs, knowing everything the elder Dockery said was a lie, or, at best, a distortion of the truth. But we're talking about a time before everyone had the internet at their fingertips. I couldn't pull up facts to refute what the guy with aviator shades, a too tight police uniform, a steroid-induced pimple-dotted neck, and the stink of gold bond, was spouting to an enraptured audience of soon-to-be high school juniors. His next words pulled my attention back to the front of the mess. He'll take a teeny puppy dog, like this runt here. Bring it on stage. Everyone leaned forward, sitting on the edges of their seats. Lips trembled. I don't like confrontation. I've got bruises and scars from enough ambushes and attacks from behind in prison that I left unanswered to put the truth to that. My skin's a relief map of sucker-punch bruises and shiv scars. Believe me, it takes something momentous for me to stand up and be heard. I never imagined it'd get bigger than witnessing someone sawing off the head of a puppy dog. Seeing it was like waking up in a nightmare, except I'd never fallen asleep. Officer Dockery kept talking, thick ex-linebacker chin bouncing up and down with each syllable as he dragged the serrated edge of the hacksaw across the uncooked hamburger patty flesh of the pup. Blood red to the point of appearing purple spilled on the concrete. Off to the side, the two other officers forming the motivational speaking trinity of our local Cops for Christ chapter held their hands up like supplicants. I stood, swallowing back the urge to barf bug juice and hydrox cookies onto the rows ahead of me. My legs shook like I'd run a mile. Then a chair slid beside me. A girl, Vanessa Graybill or her cousin Sarah Graybill, stood up. I thought I'd gained a partner in battling this moment of insanity. Everyone loves puppies and kittens and babies, right? I figured if someone else stood with me, I wouldn't have to do anything or say anything. Then another kid stood. And another and another, until everyone was standing. But I moved forward alone. What are you doing? I said that to a trio of puppy-killing cops amid a crowd of Jesus-happy high schoolers at a Christian summer camp. In terms of mistakes made in life, that interruption's up there. Next thing I knew, I'd pushed through the crowd and ended up closer to Officer Dockery than anticipated. I grabbed for the ruined corpse in Officer Dockery's hand. Whatever the spell the others were under faded. Let go! My words came out wrong, by which I mean uh, they came out as chunky vomit splattering the front of Officer Dockery's uniform coating his chest in a layer of sickly sweet citrus and sugar. His shades slipped, and I glimpsed this vacant expression in his pale blue eyes. The look alone should have been enough to stop me, to make me turn around and run. I should have run as far away as possible. But the animal remains, gelled into a jammy adhesive between our hands, connecting us. I pulled one away. He pulled the other. A mechanical whine 
sounded behind us. It came from a Polaroid camera, spitting out one of its white-bordered squares with an image emerging in the swirl of a chemical reaction. A classmate brought it to record camp memories. Mess hall food fights, prayers by the flag, sack races, and target practice at the gun range. <laughs> the gun range at a Christian summer camp. Instead, they got me. Wearing a black t-shirt and ripped jeans dyed a darker shade of black. They caught me with hands slick with blood and guts. They captured Officer Dockery off balance, holding the hacksaw loosely. As a result, when the Polaroid developed, it appeared to depict the officer struggling to free the saw from my grip. And I became a mad satanic puppy mutilator. Your Honor, let the record reflect this Polaroid photograph showing the accused dismembering a poor defenseless puppy while brave, virtuous Officer Dockery takes the weapon away before more violence is perpetrated. Not good. Then something heavy struck my forehead. I crumpled like an empty laundry sack, dirty clothes spreading across a laundry room floor. That's when I found out the cops for Christ still carried their service weapons. To a Christian summer camp. Nurse Jessie put sleeping salts under the crusted ruin of my nostril and used a damp white washcloth to clean dried blood from the open wound splitting my eyebrow. I winced, finding my field of vision reduced. Pistol whipped, they call it. Always thought of it as something experienced by action heroes in movies and no one else. James Bond takes the hit so he'll get taken to the villain's lair and can uncover their master plan. Too bad none of those flicks ever showed 007 rolling over once he comes to and vomiting. It's what happened, though. I spat blood and stomach bile since I'd already emptied the contents of my belly. Oh, you shit! Nurse Jessie's heels clacked against the unsullied floorboards of the first aid station. So much for bedside manner. Through eyes nearly swollen shut, I glimpsed her scowling face and orange hair resembling a collapsing sun exploding into curls and ringlets framed in letterbox. Weirdo! She said, spitting the word like a death sentence. Oh, if only she knew what was coming. My voice came in a reedy, blood-speckled whisper. Where's the pup-pup-pup? Except I couldn't get the word out. Emptied of food, bile, and blood, I thought my stomach's next step might be to call it quits, turn itself inside out and hop out of my body. Nurse Jessie... Not an actual nurse, but a volunteer at a crisis pregnancy center where they trick girls into keeping babies they don't want and can't raise. Never acknowledged I'd spoken. The snap of blue plastic safety gloves over her bony, white skeletal hands drowned me out. She took another step back. Then another, and another. I let my eyes close with the understanding of what happened. Even with Magic Johnson hosting a TV show back then for the evangelical set, the boogeyman of AIDS loomed. Anyone who didn't live up to their holier-than-thou standards might carry the demon in their blood, or spit, or even their exhausted mouth-breathing. I didn't have to be gay or anything. Though, trust me, plenty of kids at this welcoming, tolerant, Christ-minded camp believed that I was. Me being different was enough for Nurse Jessie. Enough to compel her to keep her distance. Another hand on my shoulder after listening to the tip-tap, trip-trap of my supposed caregiver's retreat came as a shock. There was Shannon in letterbox. Gosh, they did a number on you, didn't they? I nodded. 
Trying to sit up, I scooched my blood-sticky khaki shorts against the thin white blankets covering the first aid cot. But Shannon pressed his hand against my shoulder, keeping me in place. He shook his head. Same age as me, same grade, even the same birth month. But always older, wiser. Gifted with insights into the hidden workings of the universe. Years later, I'd understand Shannon's insights amounted to nothing more than the consequences of a life lived in the shadow, for good or very, very ill, of an older brother turned hometown hero. We held a service for the... the whelp, he said. Again, I said nothing, but blew whistling breaths from between aching teeth. It got the message across. Shannon locked his eyes on mine, a tractor beam of reproachment. Hickory gets passionate about the devil sometimes. Claims he sees Satan everywhere. Hickory. Did I not mention Officer Dockery's nickname was Hickory earlier? Hickory Dockery. I swear to... Well, I guess I swear to you since you're the one I'm praying to. Peering past Shannon, I watched Nurse Jessie's receding shadow as she headed out to smoke her hourly menthol cigarette. Once my eyes watered from the first hint of wispy smoke curling back inside, I answered my friend. He killed a dog. He was proving a point. No one gets to kill a dog and stay the good guy. They do if the dog's trying to attack them. You think that's what happened? He was already dead, you know? Stillborn. So it wasn't like he... I wasn't sure if I believed him, but I didn't say that. Instead, I asked, Is that supposed to make it better? Shannon shook his head, knowing I wouldn't press the issue much further, on account of him being the one person left at camp who'd speak to me. Then... Standing in the doorway, wearing a fading, wreathed crown of Nurse Jessie's mint-flavored smoke, he pressed his palms together in the universal sign for prayer. Everyone's praying for you, he said. Are you? I asked. Can I, can I ask you something, Mr. Devil, sir? Do you take credit for wrongdoing erroneously credited as being done in your name? Like when some disgruntled near dropout warped by the internet buys a semi-automatic and shoots up his high school because of the rising levels of high fructose corn syrup in his diet and the steady drip of negativity and bad vibes emanating from all the media he consumes. And the same media only wants to talk about the pentagram the kid drew on his trapper keeper in the seventh grade and nothing else... Are you content to take credit when it doesn't belong to you? Before coming here, before leaving my belongings in the dented metal box and spreading my cheeks for the prison guard's probing, purple-gloved finger, my sole exposure to the devil, to you, came in the form of those rectangular jack-chick mini-comics all my fellow campers would leaflet town with on Halloween especially in the neighborhoods where they gave out the full-sized candy bars. So sitting here, whispering into darkness underscored by the slow, steady drip of a busted faucet down the hall, the hitched, troubled breathing of my fellow dead men sleeping, and the rats scratching away inside the walls, I picture you as some elfin creature in red pajamas, sporting a Van Dyke curved like a scimitar. I imagine you speaking in speech bubbles instead of making noise. I see your words in big, bold, black letters. Ha, ha, ha. I know it's not true. I know you were an angel once. One of the greatest. Or you had potential to be one of the greatest. Potential sure is a son of a bitch, huh? My mom and dad were never religious. They got married in a church because my grandparents would only pay for the ceremony if they did. And I was baptized, 
though if you ask my camp friends, they'll tell you it didn't count since it happened in the Catholic Church. Small-town Protestants, am I right? Past those two events, we spent Sundays going on hikes, playing board games, doing arts and crafts, and staging elaborate family puppet shows. No bad touching or undiagnosed brain traumas. Nothing of the sort. I skated through my younger years on golden-tipped blades on silver-tinted ice. Until middle school jumped me and stole my lunch money. By high school, I'd gained ninth-level expertise in eating my lunch by myself as fast as possible before racing back to the classroom of whatever disinterested teacher I had the following period. Having watched enough teen melodramas on Friday nights when I had no other pressing social engagements, I assumed my clique of losers and friends would materialize at some point. But even the nerds turned me away. And when the guys and gals with the braces and Coke bottle thick lenses on their glasses shun you, then you're well and truly shunned. Shannon was the exception. If you found us in elementary school years, you'd be hard-pressed to spot the difference between us. Dirty blonde bowl cuts, freckled cheeks, skinned knees and juice-stained t-shirts. Sure, he was never around on Sundays, and his parents always made an elaborate show of saying grace whenever I'd come over for a sleepover. But you don't notice those things at that age. You pick up those details later. Like... You go back and remember Shannon's big brother, Hickory, tackling his brother on the hardwood floor in their dining room time after time, pressing his midsection or ass down over your friend's face, covering mouth and nose and refusing to get up even after Shannon tapped skinny fingers against the floor. Or how he'd grab him by the balls and administer purple nurples with a savage grin on his face. Blue eyes rolled back white. He'd leave Shannon in a weeping ball before turning to me and placing one of his stubby Neanderthal fingers to his lips. When recalling those moments, all you can say is, well, at least it wasn't me. But the next thing you know... Sorry, I got sidetracked. It's been too long since I had anyone who'd listen. It's what I missed from my defense in my initial trial and all the subsequent appeals. Take one glance at my shoe-polished black dreadlocks, death metal t-shirts, and baggy jeans with attached chain wallet, and you get a procession of public defenders tossing aside any notion of getting me on the witness stand. Even after I let them cut my hair and swaddle me in a gray suit with shiny black shoes, the afterimage of grungy, goth, Harold Tillerman, at the Christian summer camp gun range, lingered. The cops for Christ were supposed to be a one-off thing. They'd come, perform their dog <laughs> and pony show, testifying about saving souls and the need to report suspicious, non-white, people no matter what. And that's it. Things changed when I ruined everything by making a stink about a dead dog. No, not just a dead dog. A murdered dog. If I'd got my way, I'd have cocooned myself in my dad's old orange flannel-lined sleeping bag and spent the rest of my time hibernating at camp until the bouncy, creaking, always-about-to-break-down bus returned us to civilization. But God and the God Squad had other plans. As the bruises on my face and under my eyes faded from an old, mold-colored black and purple to a dried-up highlighter yellow, I overheard a whispered argument between Shannon and his brother outside my bunk. Gonna tell Mom and Dad what you did. What you did to me. Whatever, pussy. Go ahead. No one will believe you. They will. They... The Bible says... Go to hell. You let it happen. What's that say about you, huh? Huh? Leave me alone. 
I made a show of yawning, stretching like some cartoon character to give them enough warning. Time to move along, I guess, Hickory said. His boots kicked up clouds of dirt along the paths between our cabins. Then the screen door into my bunk creaked open and slammed back. Pretending to blink myself awake, I noticed damp splotches on Shannon's lashes. I never said anything. No way. Not once. Not ever. If there's any crime I'm guilty of, it's the crime of indifference. Do they execute folks for not giving enough of a damn? Approaching the last day of summer camp, having missed out on Capture the Flag and Holy Spirit Color Battle and Tug of War and... You know, now I'm saying these aloud, I'm picking up on the not-so-repressed militaristic undertones of all of the activities at summer camp. I wanted to return to circulation, but stay under the radar. We were supposed to have free choice for activities on the next-to-last day. My free choice was to go wherever everybody else wasn't. Then came Shannon. Come shoot with me, he said getting in my face as I exited the mess hall. He moved in herky-jerky film jump-cut motions, like God or whatever hit the fast-forward button on him and him alone. Before my attempted protest moved beyond a monosyllabic, eh, Shannon had my wrist and was dragging me to the gun range. Hicks is supervising the range, he said as though his brother's presence was a compelling reason to go and not one to make me turn around and head in the opposite direction. But instead of launching into a one-man boycott of our local sheriff, I recalled Dad's words before I left for camp. Try to be normal, he'd said. Those were his last words to me. Never spoke to me again after what happened. Not once. Not during the trial. Not during the years after. Then he got sick. Then he died. I asked Mom if he'd said anything to her on his deathbed. Anything he wanted her to pass on to me. She couldn't meet my eyes as she shook her head. Back at camp, I swallowed my descent and followed Shannon to the range. As we got closer, the steady report of Officer Hickory Dockery firing his handgun at a hanging target, and the muted thud of the bullet landing in the hay bale-braced backstop greeted us. I've never been a fan of guns. Yeah, yeah, I know. The irony of it all. What happened to the BB guns? I asked, inquiring about the nearly harmless weapons usually waiting at the range. Huh? Of course Shannon didn't hear me over the gunfire. As I repeated myself at a shout, What happened? Hickory finished shooting and waved us closer. To anyone nearby, I sounded like the maniac shouting at my friend. Hey, ladies, Hickory called. I waited for Shannon to say something, to find out if we'd both decide today we'd be done taking his big brother's shit except he kept his head down and continued walking toward the firing line where his brother waited. Thinking I'd learned my lesson from the dead dog incident, I shut the hell up and followed. I didn't ask Shannon why no one else was at the range that afternoon. I didn't ask a lot of questions I should have. At the firing line, Hickory nodded to some ear coverings resting in the cracked dirt by his feet. Not wanting to get my eardrums blown out, I picked my pair up and placed them over my ears, quick as possible. I stretched to grab them, keeping as much distance between myself and the elder Dockery as I could. But when I looked up, I caught his eye and saw the hint of a sneer wrinkling his features. I'm glad Shannon woke you up from your beauty rest, princess. Heck... The man-boy stepped forward, balled-up fist cocked, ready to pop. Lenny dropped it with a too-loud chuckle. It reminded me of the way you're supposed to laugh, at least according to Mr. Jack Check. I'm joking, come on, take a joke, you pussy, 
I was standing right there. Officer Dockery pressed on, pushing his still warm gun into my empty hand. Out of instinct, I squeezed my hand around it. Figured you're more into Dungeons and Dragons, ceremonial daggers or whatever, or machetes like Jason or Freddy. I didn't bring up the fact Freddy Krueger used finger blades and not a machete. I tried to hand the gun to Shannon, but he shook his head. Nah, man, you got this. Then he spoke to his brother. Want to change the target for us, bro? It was the most confident I had ever heard Shannon speak when addressing Hickory. So much so, the elder Dockery was already halfway across the range before realization dawned. He'd taken an order from his kid brother. Of course, he couldn't let that stand. Hey, Tillerman, you better not shoot me. Remember, God's watching. Besides not having any confidence in my ability to make said shot, I was consumed with staring at the weapon in my hand, like one of those apes in 2001, puzzling over the smooth black monolith that'll change them forever. Except with less screeching and more shallow breathing. Shannon stood behind me, closer than expected. Show me your firing stance, he said. I tried to demur. No, come on. But he wasn't having any of it. Do it, okay? I'll help. I don't know. God, Harold, you want to have any friends? The implication being I'd lose him if I didn't go along with his request, which I didn't want. I had two more years of high school hell coming before the freedom of college. Two years makes for a long damn time when you're a teenager. In high school, everything's life and death. At least, that's the way I remember it. So I lifted my arms, pointing the gun toward the target, unaware that etiquette and safety guidelines dictated I shouldn't aim while Hickory was on the range. The gun won't fire unless you pull the trigger, Shannon said. His lips close to my ear made for the most intimate contact I've ever experienced with anyone. Male, female. He hooked his arms around mine from underneath, moving me into place. His head on one of my shoulders. The proverbial angel or the proverbial you whispering to me. Hickory worked with his back to us, pulling down the paper target and pinning up a new one. Shoot him, Shannon said. I shook my head. I wouldn't. I couldn't. I didn't like Shannon's brother either, but I didn't hate him. Not the way Shannon did. But my friend's hands were over mine, moving me to the trigger. Maybe I didn't fight back hard enough. Hey, Hick! Officer Dockery turned at his baby brother's shout. Sunlight hit the dark of his shades, casting a curved shadow in the space from the target to the firing line. What the hell? Except he never finished his expletive. With one extra bit of pressure on my index finger, the gun fired. The bullet flew. I watched it cross the range, picking out the splattery sound of Officer Woodson Hickory Dockery's skull brains, and blood exploding from the top left side of his head, painting the clean, unblemished new target paper like we'd dropped a watermelon on concrete. The ear coverings didn't work. Not as well as they should have. A ringing like church bells sounded in my ears. Voices followed. Disoriented, I decided they were singing. Give a goth kid enough time at church camp, even he'll hear angels. Except it wasn't angels. It was Shannon. The world returned to focus, and I watched his lips move, speaking the words by which he damned me. How could you? How could you kill my brother? He didn't ask those questions so much as scream them. 
I saw in his eyes the choice he'd made, how he'd offered me as a sacrifice so he'd be free. A well-rehearsed wail followed as he ran across the range to his brother's body. He drew the others away from their various activities around camp. They came to see what all the fuss was about. They found me, the gun in my hand, and a dead cop on the ground. They told all kinds of stories afterward about what they'd seen, about what I did. None of them were true. I didn't press the hot barrel of the Glock against my chest, and it didn't leave a 666 burn mark behind. I dropped the gun in the dirt as soon as the other two members of the Cops for Christ yelled for me to do so. I never ran over and painted pentagrams in the dead policeman's blood. I wouldn't be talking to you now if I had. I think everyone hoped for an excuse to finish me off right then and there. Most days, I'm glad I didn't make it so easy for them. But it was always going to be my word against the Jesus crowd. Everyone understood. They'd get me in the end. Unless everything they've told me about you is true. Unless we're in cahoots. Like comic book supervillains teaming up to take out Spider-Man or something. If that's true then you can get me out of here. You can give me a chance to live and die on my own terms. You want me to kill for the first time? I can. I think I can. You want my soul to torture and torment for eternity? Have it. It's yours. Sorry, I can't wait much longer for an answer. My eyelids are getting heavy. Rats are back in the walls again. Prison maintenance sprayed while we were still in our cells, about a week or so ago. Except they never planned for what to do with all the rats dead inside the walls. The stench has been awful, like rotten eggs, like sulfur. And after everything, they couldn't get the job done. Because something's still scratching, like it wants to get out. Like it's coming to get me. The scratching. It is the rats, isn't it? That was Patrick Barb's Help Satan is read by myself. You can learn more about me on the Tales to Terrify website, and as always, feel free to reach out on social media or via email too. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Kathy Robinson and Amanda Gottfried, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free and extended episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review you'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Now you can share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs 
that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we swap tricks for treats with more Tales to Terrify. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.